Welcome to the Mindful Magic Podcast. I'm Katie Hill. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you ideas, tools, and ways of thinking that will support you and your child to uncover your inner calm, your joy default. Welcome to the fabulous Lauren Derrett of This Girl Is Enough. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm fabulous. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I don't know why I'm laughing already. I thought I got to do my intro. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Um, I'm sure everyone knows Lauren. Anyone listening to this, I'm sure you know Lauren. Um, but if you don't, she is the author of Filter Free, which um, brings together real life stories of real women. She is the host of the Life Unfiltered podcast. She's an empowering public speaker, mother of four kids and two stepkids, self-proclaimed oversharer and overswearer, and she's soon to be launching a new business called Wear em Out, which is very exciting and is going to be helping women to make the switch to reusable period pads, which is just fantastic. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I'm just going to bask in that glory for, uh, for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me here, love. That's right. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Um, we haven't had a chat in a while, so it's just it's nice to see your face and to to speak to you. And I've got about a bazillion questions. So um. <laughs> hit me with it. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your work to start with. Tell us what you do because it spans so many different topics, um, and there's so much that you talk about online. But it's all essentially about the same really important message, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this girl is enough. It kind of does exactly what it says on the tin. I just got to a point in life where I just thought, do you know, I'm sick of trying to contort myself and conform to what is expected of a woman my age, my size, my colour, my everything, you know. And actually, fuck it, I'm enough. Oh, can I swear on it, Katie? Yeah, <laughs> I forgot to say that, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know they're there. It's all part of my vocabulary now. It's very fresh. <laughs> no, it's yeah. fine. That's why I wrote over swearer in the yes. uh, in the intro. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so not only from my own perspective that I was sick of trying to contort into this expectation, but then watching my then 13-year-old daughter starting to mould herself based on the um, women role models that she was watching, which at the time was YouTubers. Um so I felt like it was a duty to both of us, really, to stand up and say, do you know what? I'm not going to be who you all expect me to be. I'm going to stand in who I am. Um, and if you don't like it, then you can leave You can leave the party, babe. You know, it's, it's free will. So, yeah, it, was, it kind of started off as a blog, really simple. Then I started sharing some really uncomfortable st- stories that I had challenges from my life. And with me sharing openly, without filters and without fear of judgment, kind of letting go some of the shame when I started sharing the stories a lot of other women started connecting at that point saying my god I'm holding on to this really heavy story and it's actually holding me back or holding me down or it's it's the main driver in my life and so I offered them a platform of my book to release their stories into my book which I would then release under you know my name so that they was one step removed I guess and gave them a bit of safety around releasing that story. And I was inundated with beautiful stories that needed very little editing because they were so raw and so honest and so beautifully written. 
and each story ends with this massive message of empowerment about how formidable women are and how we actually can overcome pretty much bloody everything. So it, it was a massive turning point in the book and it made my message stronger at that point, I guess, in that that's what I stand for and that's what I continue to do. Across all my social media, you'll see me in many various states. There can be a state like yesterday where I stuck my head way above the parapet on a topic that was so uncomfortable for all, uh, caused me quite a lot of backlash, but I'm here for that. I'm okay with that. Um, I share openly when I'm having shit times. I share openly when I'm having really good times because that's what life actually looks like. And I think a lot of that is lost in these filtered, filtered times. So yeah, brief answer. <laughs> Because there's millions left, more, millions more questions left. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, uh, the so I know you because I saw you on social media about four years ago, probably. And then at that point, you were you were you were very open, but you had a different role because you were a doula. Um, so you were my doula um, with oh. my list. Um, your last doula experience. You were. <laughs> yeah. um, but even then, you were so like open, and that's what drew me to you. And I know that a lot of people listening who know who you are and follow you will also be following you because you're so open and you're just like, "This is me. This is this is it. Like, take it or leave it. I don't really care." And I just think that's such a powerful message for people. We've got a lot of uh, mums in particular who listen, and I think that it can be so hard for people who have just become mums, or you know, even mums who've, who've who've had children for a while, to just accept like this is this is me, this is how I do things, this is how I parent, like just you know, mm -hmm. just deal with it. Um, so thank I, you. I, I will prefix that though, because I'm sitting there saying, yeah, I've got all my shit together and yeah, I don't <laughs> care, blah, blah, blah. And actually growing up, I was never overly conscious. I'm, a, I'm For anybody who doesn't know what I look like, which I'm sure there's masses of you, because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not that big a deal. But, you know, I don't look like the girl in the adverts. I don't act like the girl in the adverts. I'm a, I'm a born rebel. I was never fit, made to fit in. And so quite early on, I had to accept that I was going to stand out a little bit and there was opportunity for judgment from others. Um, so I made peace with it quite early on, but to get to this state, Casey has taken me a long time. And you know, my oldest child is now 23. So I feel like I've kind of completed the early years to adult parenting and I've learned so much through that journey. So for mothers who are listening to this, who are on the early rungs of parenting, this, this wasn't an overnight thing for me. This was a massive process and parenting my children to the point of adulthood was a massive part of that process. So yeah, that's it's all a journey. Oh God, like that's what life is, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a journey. That's all it is. What do you think some of the hardest things are parenting? Do you know what? I, I've pet so my eldest is twenty three and my youngest is seven. So I've parented back. I've parented as a young mum back in the day where there was very limited information, and I'm parenting now where I'm an old mum, older mum, geriatric. I think they call us, don't they? Um, and, <laughs> And I'm drowning in information. And um, thankfully for me, I've got both experiences. So I can reflect back and think, I actually managed to parent without all of this information. I think the toughest part of parenting for you guys now, um, because I'm feeling it to a degree, but I choose not to go there, is the amount of conflicting information that is being offered to you. There is 
you know, there's people that will tell you, I've got the magic pill that will mean your child won't be fucked up at the end of this parenting journey. If you parent this way, that depicts you as a good, in inverted commas, parent. Um, I feel like parents now, mothers now are being held to ransom by all this information and it's all very conflicting. And the worst part of the conflict is, is that some of this information is going to be really conflicting against your own maternal instincts. Okay. Back in the day when I was parenting my son, the real only information we had, we didn't have fucking internet and all that shit back then, mate. We had to go to the library. And, um, the only access we had to kind of parenting stuff back then was Gina Ford. She was the only parent in person. We all done cry out because that's all we had. Um, and it didn't sit with my instincts. And I have, I have feelings around that now because I listened to a stranger who had never had a child talking about my child and how best to parent that child, um, which is all fucked up when you look at it in those terms. Like I grew the child I live with the child so I can see what the child needs. I can feel what the child needs, but I'm putting my trust in a book by a woman who has never even met me. And I think that's where a lot of the conflict lies that, you know, now you've got the, <laughs> you've got the two sides, you've got the Gina Ford, you've got the Sarah, Sarah Oakwell Smith and not, and a whole ton of shit in between. I mean, you're just looking going, I don't even know. Stop looking and start feeling look at your child and not just look at your child but look at your children my first three children who were raised as a, a little pack because then I had a big gap and had the last one but those three children now as adults to me are completely different individuals in hindsight which is a beautiful thing as we know and the lessons that we learn and take from our parenting journey is I would have parented those three kids completely differently their needs are completely different their emotional view is completely different their their outlook of the world is completely different but we blanket parent these children according to all this information we're being bombarded from strangers and I think it's really damaging and that worries me because I'm feeling it with Ace with my seven-year-old now I really really have to force myself not to look at that shit just to not even go there. We also need to remember how much of a financial market is attached to parenting right now. You know, you hear, oh, if your baby doesn't sleep, pay me this money and I'll make them sleep or I'll help you to make them sleep. You know, your baby knows how to sleep and I'm not dissing all the services, but I think women are very in a very fragile state and if someone promises them something, uh, then of course we're gonna seek it and say, yeah, have whatever you want. I just wanna fucking sleep tonight. And that's not just for sleep coaches, but that's everything. The market's so huge. There's a price attached to everything, but we've got this shit for free. If we can just stop and look around and look at our child and feel it ourselves, we'll get far more messages that are directly linked to that specific child. Yeah. That's exactly it, isn't it? It's exactly it. We've forgotten. It. We've forgotten that we're the fucking ones who know our kids best. We, our instincts are there. That's how humans are made because these books weren't there before humans. Like humans have been parenting for a long time without. I also want to prefix it with the massive lesson that I've learned from my children. Aside from the fact that I'd parent them all differently. What I strongly, strongly believe to be true now, and this is just my opinion and I'm, um, you know, my head goes above that parapet, but our children cannot come out of childhood without fucking issues 
Firstly, because we don't know that human being that we're parenting and their exact needs and their emotional, the way that they're receiving our parenting or anything. Um, they're such individual complex creatures that there's no way we can get it right for that individual. All we can do is our fucking best. I look back at my kids, there's a million things I would have done differently. Now I know them, you know, but <laughs> that doesn't help me whilst I'm in it. So give yourself a break, you know, as we are complex human beings and this journey through life begins from birth to death and all the shit that goes between, we are only part, a small part of who they become. When they hit secondary school, their peers are far more influential than we are. Um, you know, so just do your best with, with the knowledge that you have now. I think that's really interesting. You saying that, that, everyone comes out of childhood with issues um, and on the same almost like the opposite but the same slant everyone everyone has it like everyone still has that innate that instinct within them don't they so even the issues are like they they, they don't necessarily come from anywhere they just kind of happen they're just they're just layers of fear that might develop oh and no matter yeah Prime example is my two boys who were born three years apart, who were parented in exactly the same way. They've both got opposite views of the world. They both manage their emotions completely oppositely. They both have a completely different opinion of me as a mother. You know, it, when you look at it like that, like my little lab rats, if you like, when I'm looking at them now, I'm thinking, actually, they are fully formed human beings that I've only had so much influence over. They, they were already made. And what I do think as an adult and having walked such a fucking tricky journey back to myself, one thing I've noticed is they need to have issues because it, it makes them go inward and it makes them figure out who they are, what, what's important to them, what their moral code is, what they want from life. That's what sparks the curiosity. If they grew up as adults and everything was fine and dandy and they've never got one question to answer about their childhood or about anything, where does that curiosity come from to then start looking at themselves and going inward? Yeah. So I I think the issues can actually be a real benefit, actually. I mean, I'm fucking, I've had eight years in therapy. I've had issues, you know, but every one of my childhood issues or adult issues has given me, taken me to such a place of strength and understanding about the world and people and emotions and me that actually they've all been a blessing. And we're so scared of these, these issues that we call them, you know, these fucked upness. We're so scared of that. But let's not forget what they bring. Yeah. It's all experience, isn't it? It's however we see it. It's all our own, own individual experiences of the world. And we're, we're painting it like we're painting whatever we see in front of us um, and doing it in very different ways. So like your two sons had very similar experiences, but their painting of what they're experiencing is, so, is just is unique to them. And there's yeah. nothing. So do you think that as parents, we put too much emphasis on nurturing? No, I think nurturing is really, really important. Nurturing is the first basic need, right? The baby comes out, it looks for, for nurture. That's a survival thing. But, but do you think, yeah, go on. But I do think it's really, really, really important. And this is one of the missteps that I took in my parenting journey. It's really, really important that we allow our children to feel emotions. And that includes the bad emotions. You know, we're very quick to shut bad emotions down because we feel uncomfortable as parents because we can't make it better or we can't fix them. So it's like, let's just shut that down and not talk about it because it's too uncomfortable. All you're doing is one, telling that child to shut emotions down, which is really unhealthy. We know that um, dis-ease and stress in the body can erupt in a physical form. 
if we're holding on to stresses, it's really important that we are allowed to, when we have an emotional response to something, you have to let the whole cycle play out for our bodies to be able to release it. Otherwise it will store it as stress and that will cause physical pain or disease or whatever. So when our kids are having a physical, an emotional response to something, even if it's something really bad or really sad or really frustrating or angry or whatever, we have to let the cycle complete of that emotion because one, they learn that it does go away, that it's okay, it's safe to feel these things. Because let's face it, we can protect them. And this is what I done. I wrapped my kids in cotton wool. I didn't allow them to feel a damn fucking thing because it was uncomfortable for me. And that's, that's my honest opinion. I didn't feel comfortable seeing them sad, upset, frustrated. I wanted to make it better. I wanted my kids to have this fucking rainbow life full of fluffy clouds and circus grounds. And I tried to offer them that. What happened then is when my son, my first son hit 18, 19, he fucking crashed. He met the real world head on and he had no ability to cope with his emotions that came with it. None. We had an absolutely terrifying year with that boy uh, that culminated in him living in Australia. For, I know this is all really extreme, but this is my experience. He moved to Australia. To, to, he just kept trying to escape what essentially were the emotions that he didn't know how to deal with as an adult. Because our kids are going to feel this. When they're adults, they are going to feel rejection. They are going to feel pain. They are going to feel frustration and resentment and anger and injust. It's our duty to allow them to feel it at a time in their life where the nurture is there, where they are safe, where they can be allowed to explore it and come out the other side of it. If we shut it down, they're not equipped as adults to deal with that kind of stuff. So for me, you know, the kind of parenting manuals that tell you to not bound, not, not to, well, to make everything so nice and, you know, be Mary Poppins. It's not realistic. And my own son said to me, mum, now as an adult has said to me, why did everything have to be so fucking perfect with you? And he didn't want that. He didn't want that because one, you know, it set him up this expectation that his life has to also mimic that and sustainable so I feel that I done him a disservice by not allowing him to feel more pain which is really hard to say as a mother it is isn't it I'm just yeah. thinking with my because this is I mean this your message what you've just said is exactly what we are trying to talk about all the time with mindful magic like that's the that all the emotions are equal, however we label them as good or bad, the whole spectrum is part of human experience and it's okay to feel them. It's okay. It's also important for children to you know, notice them and be able to talk about them and, and label them however they want to and just and, and say, this is okay. Like I still have the ability to, to be okay underneath all of this. Mm, but then when you're there in that situation and... As an example, I've got my daughter and my my best friend's daughter, and they argue like they, our two daughters argue like all the time. They're three and they're just fighting. And like, oh, she took that. Oh, she's got this, and it's constant. It's like, oh, give us a break. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you just want to be like, just stop, just stop, <laughs> stop feeling, just go away. <laughs> I think that's okay though, right? Because there's another lesson in there. Yeah. You know, they need to learn that they've got to sometimes back down. They need to learn that sometimes life doesn't go their way. There's a lesson in that as well. I don't think we should completely um, allow them to rule the roots or allow their emotions to dictate every situation. We're also, when we're parenting, we've also got to teach them the harsh lessons in life. 
you know, you can't go into the workplace and start scrapping over the, the desk. You've got to also teach them that sometimes you have to back down because that's, you know, that's the way of the world. That's another valuable lesson. Maybe say back down and then talk about it later and how did it make you feel? And here's another way that you could have dealt with it. Sure. But in that instance, when it's so heated, it's, I think it's perfectly fine to say, right, be the bigger person or, you know, you don't have to fight till the death about this. Yeah. Every, you know, what we've got to remember is when we're seeing our kids in these situations, that's an opportunity for, for us to guide. Mm. Um, and I know we don't always have the energy. And when I'm saying guiding, it can literally, it can literally be because you're on your last leg. So you go, just fucking, nobody knows what the fuck it, but just stop it. Just stop it and go and sit on the iPad for half an hour because my head is about to explode. That's still guiding. That's still taking them away from that scenario and going and letting them have a bit of chill out on the iPad or whatever. I'm not saying you've got to sit and have a two-hour therapy session with them because none of us have got time for that really in the real life, especially if you've got more than one kid. But everything's a lesson and I think it's okay for them to feel the lessons but you can't control who they are or what they do necessarily. Why would you want to? They're here for a reason. You know, that person's here for a reason. And if we try and mold them into who we're expecting them to be, and you know yourself now, Katie, because you've got two kids. When you see two kids who are so completely different, Mm. it's really important. And I think this is something I done back then. uh, It's really important not to to, to try and see them as the individuals that they are. And I think because I had two boys, it was even harder to split them apart because they were two boys. They were close in age. It was just, but to see them as individuals and to kind of have to parent them individually, which is really tough emotionally on the mother to be so aware of all of this stuff. But like I said before, you can only do your best with knowing comes change. So make small changes where you feel you've got the fucking head space and energy to do it. (laughs) And always remember that they're going to have some kind of issue anyway. So let yourself off the hook there, a bit bit less responsibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I saw a, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was, I think it was BBC did a documentary about, it was about babies. It was about a year ago, I think. I don't know if you saw it. And there was an experiment they did to kind of prove that babies have naturally an ability to know kind of like, kind of right from wrong and Mm. know when something is is not okay and they use like these shapes with faces on them and the shapes were being kind of mean to each other and pushing each other away and the babies were reacting and they're basically trying to prove that innately by nature kids they know mm-hmm. um and that we spend so much time as parents trying trying to teach them all the time and trying to be like you must be a good person we must do this perfectly you know and mm-hmm. like you say it's kind of fruitless because they have the ability it's just making sure that it's it's nurtured and kind of and supported rather than kind trying to control everything everything so it's absolutely perfect and spot on all the time yeah I think come coming with that trying to control everything and make it how society wants to see your family set up is very restrictive of that child and their needs and you know I I, listen I'm sitting here saying this in hindsight, I, I, I didn't do any of this stuff, but this is what I've learned. Um, and actually with Ace, he's got a lot more free will to be him, which feels really uncomfortable for me because he isn't me. And it's instinctive. Well, it's probably not instinctive, but I think it's society's expectation of me to parent him in a certain way so that everybody else feels comfortable with him. 
So for instance, like he's really loud. He won't sit down to eat one meal. He has, he leans more towards girls things. Quite often says he wants to be a girl. Um, and it's really uncomfortable for me because society doesn't like that kind of uncomfortable, oh God, what is this kid? And why is he, why won't he just fucking sit and eat his dinner? But actually, is that what he needs to do right now? And I've had to, God, he doesn't get free will. And in a restaurant, he'll get a threat of, you'll never go on the iPad again if you don't just sit <laughs> and perform, monkey boy. But in his own safe, nurturing space, is this what I'm saying to you? Whilst you've got them at home with you in a nice, safe, nurturing space, you can let them explore more who they are, how they feel, their view of the world. Um, and that's kind of what I've learned from not having done it before and seeing the upshot of it, seeing the outcome of it. My boys who are like coiled springs. Um, yeah, I suppose that's how I'd, I'd relate to it. They're kind of, they're not at peace, those children. And I'd, I, I, they could have been like that, however, apparently. Who would know? Who would know? But when I reflect back, yeah, there's a lot of things that I think I could have done differently. And I won't beat myself up over that because it won't change a damn thing. So do you think it's more about leaning into what you want to do rather than what you feel like you should? Do you think that's Yeah, I think giving yourself permission to parent in the way that feels right for you. Um, this, we must always remember, right, this social media wave of having to look a certain way, having to behave a certain way, having to be on your Facebook every weekend out at family events, doing family shit, with you know paying fortunes to go to this place that place the other place just so as you feel that your kids had a good experience that day are you doing it for you because that's genuinely what you're loving about parenthood if you are crack on or are you doing it because you feel that that's what's expected of you as a parent but actually it's a real ball lake to get out of the door you can't afford it you're getting in debt for this this social lifestyle that's you know, and be really honest with yourself. And I've got to the point where I'm like, do you know what? I don't, I, I'm not parenting my kid for you and to get a tick. I'm parenting my kid. The world needs as much diversity as we can throw at it. And by allowing ourselves to parent in our own style and to our own rules allows that diversity for the next generation to have the confidence to shine. <clears throat> yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. We, everyone, everyone is completely different. So everyone parents differently. Why are we all trying to fit ourselves into this one particular mold of, oh, we must be looking like that to everybody else. But imagine if everyone just stepped up and parented in their own style. Imagine what lessons that would teach the next mother and the next mother. And, I, and they're still going to get people who do all the activities because they love that shit. And I think that's brilliant because that's how they want to parent. But I'm talking about if you're trying to conform to a style of parenting, imagine if you just showed up as yourself as a parent, that next mum might look at you and go, oh my God, I love that she gives herself the freedom to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to try that. And then you get this ripple of happy, content, diverse families being let out into the world. And that can only mean more lessons for everyone and, you know, more connection, I think. Oh, it would, it would, wouldn't it? Because mm -hmm. how many times, and there is an example I'm thinking of personally from someone I know, um, where, because everyone's trying to fit into the, this is what parenting should look like, and this is how we should be doing things, that conflict arises and people feel like they can have an opinion on how, how somebody else parents. And that's just, yeah. it's like, you know what? It's none of your business, actually. And um, The thing is about it. judgment, and I'm sure you all know this, 
the judgment is about someone else. It's never about you. If someone's judging your parenting styles or judging your language or judging you or judging your message or any of that, and I know this because I've done it myself, and if you're all honest, you'll probably agree, whenever I've judged somebody or a situation, it's because there's something triggered in me that I need to look at. So if I'm judging someone's mothering, if I look and say, oh, bloody hell, she does too much with her kids, maybe that's triggering in me to say, are you doing enough with your kids? That's my instinct alerting me to say, do you feel that you're doing enough with your kids? Let's look at that. And then I'll make my judgment call on that. Yes, or oh, actually, I probably could do more. If, you, if someone judges you for being lazy, it's because something's triggered in them to say, actually, have a look at yourself. Are you a little bit lazy yourself? That's all judgment is. It's never about the person who's on the other end. So if you feel that you're going to be judged for your decisions, then actually what I do is I send pity out to those people who feel they need to judge because what a sad existence that you're living in your life through the lens of somebody else's life. That's really sad. So judge away because it's your time you're wasting, darling, not mine. <laughs> like, I don't really care. Yeah, but, and, and that's, if I mean, if we could, if we could all think like that. <laughs> it's slow steps, but like I said, knowledge is where the change begins. And so just saying to yourself as an affirmation, their judgment is not mine to be concerned with. Their judgment isn't about me. Their judgment, you know, it must be really sad to live judging people in your life because you're so busy looking outward that you're missing all the good shit that's inside mm -hmm. these lessons that we learn you have to affirm them constantly you know that so it's like constant affirmations of um i'm worthy uh i i don't i don't bow down to other people's judgments i don't live my life according to other people's rules mm -hmm. and it's just reaffirming and undoing all the old stories that you fall into that you should behave a certain way or you should be that type of mother do you want to be that type of mother? If you don't, that's okay. And remind yourself that that's okay. It's yeah. safe for me to mother in my way. You know, affirmations are such a powerful tool. They are so powerful. We use them with the kids and they're, yeah, they're fantastic. Mm. And so simple. Yep. So simple. Mm. Um, you did a talk recently about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Why did you want to speak about forgiveness? Because I think it kind of links onto what we're talking about. Why is oh, it so? Well, yeah, because I've spent so many years beating myself up. Um, so in my first marriage with my three children, I left my first husband when my little girl was one. And I thought I'd get the weekends off. Like that was the driver for me. Because I, 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 mothering is really, really hard for me. I don't actively enjoy the responsibility of motherhood. I don't enjoy the 24 seven relentlessness. I don't enjoy that. It makes you feel as though you are lesser in society because you're just there to serve. I don't like all the things that come with the role of motherhood and it doesn't come naturally to me. I have to really fight it every day to stay on course. Um, and whenever you hear people say that the first thing they say is, but I love my kids. I don't even say that because my kids are alive. They are here. They are thriving. Um, and that's evidence for me that I love my kids because I'm doing a, I've been doing a job I hate for 23 fucking years and I'm still doing it, which is proof that I love my kids. So that aside, me leaving my husband, it came to, okay, well, if you're leaving, you leave the kids as well. And at that point I had a choice to make and it kind of did feel like very dramatic, but at the time it did feel like it was a choice of survival and I had to leave Maybe it was postnatal depression. Looking back, I don't know anymore. I don't know because it was very dark days. It was very 
I was very, I felt like I was in a tunnel. I felt so trapped. Um, I, I used to, this is really fucking sick and twisted, but this gives you some idea of where my head was at at the time. I used to wish that my husband would die in a car crash on the way home from work so that it would be over. That's how extreme my head was at that time, hence eight years of therapy. Um, but I made the choice to leave, which meant I only had my kids half the week. So the guilt that that brought, the guilt that it brought, the stigma that it brought, the shame that it brought, um, all the emotions that it brought and me watching them growing up thinking every little thing that issue that flared up thinking it was my fault because I left. Um, so I've had to do a lot of work around forgiveness. My second marriage was one of domestic violence. Um, I choose to forgive him because what I've learned about forgiveness is it's not about forgiving them. It's about allowing ourselves to be free of it and to be able to, allow ourselves to move on through our lives without anger and resentment because they're not, they're not useful emotions. There's no way you can go with that. You're just going to keep picking yourself apart thinking, what did I do wrong? <clears throat> and in, in terms of me as a mother, I would sit on that forever and say, everything's my fault because I left. Well, that's not giving my kids the best of me right now. Is it if I'm just sitting in that guilt and pain? So I chose to forgive and I believe that everybody's got the ability to choose to forgive and it is not easy and it is messy and it is painful and it is like, why the fuck should I forgive these injustices? Well, in the case of my second husband, this injustice of having been put through this experience, why should I forgive someone that done that to me? Well, I'll tell you why, because I want to be free of it. And because that poor bastard is living with his conscience for the rest of his life and actually I'm free and that's a blessing. And I choose to see it as such so that I can move on. Because look, if I've got another 40 years, whoever's running the show, <laughs> I don't pray to anyone particularly, but whoever's meant to be in control of this, if I've got another 40 years, do I want to spend 40 years living in my past, living in regret, living in guilt and pain and anger? Or do I want to just say, I'm done with that? I release you all from my emotions and I move on to see what's coming next. It makes the future exciting rather than painful. And I think forgiveness is one of the most powerful tools we can use and that we can teach our children for sure. And that it's not about them. It's never about them. It's always about us releasing us, not releasing them, whoever the perpetrator is, even if it's yourself, you know, <laughs> like me in my motherhood. I'm the perpetrator and the, uh, the, the one who's had the injustice. So I forgive myself completely around that. And is it something that you do regularly or is it, was it like a big moment of like, can you, can you remember when, particularly with your, the second husband example, mm -hmm. did you just have a moment of like, I'm done. I forgive mm -hmm. you. It's over. Yeah. So he was, he was charged with assault by beat and he was found guilty in court. Um, he didn't get a custodial sentence or anything because uh, the domestic violence laws are fucked up. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll let it ride. We'll forgive. Um, but he lives, he, I live in a tiny town and he literally lives in the next village. And I was walking down this, we have this quite secluded walk just from my house. And I was walking down there with Ace and I've seen this guy down there a few times. And every time I've hung my head, I've pretended I've not seen him. I've kind of, my whole body language has changed and it's been, it released messages of um, fear and shame. And I, I responded accordingly to those messages and behaved shamefully and fearfully. Um, and then this one last time, which was about a year ago, 
I saw him and my head dropped and something inside of my head just said, fucking look up, just look up. You look up, you look forward, you hold your head high and you walk the way that he's walking. And it makes me quite emotional because I remember the, the internal struggle of me saying, oh my God, I can't look up. Oh my God, he's right there. I can't look up. And then this voice inside of me saying, you fucking will. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a powerful. It was quite a powerful moment, Katie. Um, and from that moment, that voice that, 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 that took over and made me look up and forward front took over at that point and was just like, do you know what? We're done with this. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living with this story anymore. Um, how do I release it? And it was, I have to just forgive him because it, it, for me to carry on with this anger, I'm damaging myself, but I could see quite clearly his life's just carrying on. He's just walking down the path. I don't know what he was feeling at that time. I can't imagine. I, I, I really hope it was shame. That's all. All I would like him to feel is shame, but I don't want to carry the emotions that he caused that's him, not me, you know? So, and you know, I, my childhood was quite loveless. I had to do a lot of forgiveness around my mother. So I learned this lesson and I've applied it to all areas of my life where I was holding on to old stories and old baggage and I just forgave the shit out of all of it. And it just opened up this whole new, a whole new life because it gives you the freedom to start exploring other things instead of being caught up and bound by all this shit that you had. Now I'm wide open to new experiences and like, oh my God, right, I've dealt with all that. What's coming next? It's exciting. So yeah, forgiveness is huge. And for somebody else, it might be a really, really tough journey and, you know, support yourself with the TED Talks, with the Brené Brown, with the wherever you need to find your support. But know that that journey that's really tough and uncomfortable is the best journey you're ever going to take in your life for freedom. Mm. And it sets you, it like sets you on a continued path, doesn't it? It's if you hadn't had those experiences and this yeah. is, this is, I was watching the Tony Robbins documentary. Oh yeah. Was, I'm not your guru. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously been, been a few controversies since then with him, but um, he said to one of the audience members, if you hadn't had this really, bad experience with your father you wouldn't be where you are now you wouldn't be this person right here right now oh my god so much I mean as far as the domestic violence thing goes that was kind of the catalyst of the book because when I started sharing my stories the first one I shared was the domestic violence now I hadn't told anyone about that for eight years my kids didn't even know all they knew is one day he was there one day he was gone um, and I'd never had the conversation with them because I wanted their life to be nice and pretty. Right. And I didn't want them to know that bad shit happens, but actually I, I got to a point where it was, it was coming out of me without me even knowing. And I released it onto a blog on Huffington post. So before I done that, I had to tell my kids and their responses were all completely different because they're completely different people and they felt it differently. Um, but as soon as I released that one story, it opened the floodgates to other women's stories. And um, that story was pivotal in my growth, in my message, in my connection with other women, um, with me feeling that I openly admit that I don't feel equipped to deal 
on the front line for domestic violence. I'm not an activist in domestic violence because I don't, I'm not equipped to do that. I don't have, in, I, I, I don't want to do it, KE. I don't want to do it, which carries a burden because you feel like you should. I talk about it where I feel comfortable talking about it, but I'm not the face of it. I'm not um, an activist in that movement. But what I do, and, and this is something else that's really important about women today, is we feel we have to be a, 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 um, activists in so many movements. We have to fight for everything. And you don't have to fight. You know, I consider myself a silent activist. I do a lot of shit underground that no one knows about around domestic violence, um, around feminism. I am not the sort of person who will be on the front line with a placard, but I know that I do my bit. Um, at my events that I have, that I hold, all the money that's raised, they're all non-profit. And, you know, each event has raised like a thousand pounds for our local refuge. I know that I'm on the ground doing the work, but emotionally I'm not equipped to deal with it on the front line. I know that. But what it has done is it's given other women the opportunities to stand up and say, you know, share their stories, release their stories, release the shame. And that's an activism in itself to be able to give women permission to do that. But that, that story, yeah, back to your original, what you were just saying there, that story was the, the story that gave me the power to do all of that. So it was a blessing in disguise. And quite often when you look at the biggest life challenges, there are so many lessons and there are so many blessings past the point, obviously. <laughs> but I do look at that as a gift, which is the most fucked up thing. But I know what that has gone on to do for me and so many others. So, you know, it was a gift. Can we talk a little bit about resilience? Because um, I think it's really connected to what you're, what you're saying. And recently I did a bit of a poll on um, Instagram stories about whether we thought that children were innately resilient. Um, and the reactions shocked me quite a lot. I'm not going to tell you what the outcome was. And I guess what it was then. Yeah, go on then. People think children aren't resilient. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a worry. That's a massive worry. That's what I thought too. <laughs> I think it's a big worry because if we're raising the next generation in fragility, they're going to find life really fucking hard. You know, we need to be raising them with an, uh, an awareness that they are that we are well equipped as humans to pretty much deal with everything that comes at us. It's how we deal with it that is going to be the change. If we're raising our children in this, this is what worries me about all the parenting stuff, telling us how we should be doing it to safeguard their emotional well-being at the end. If we're raising them with fragility, which I did with my son, it leaves them very wide open to vulnerability in adulthood and an inability to cope with vulnerability. We know now, thank you, Brené Brown, that vulnerability is our biggest strength. So to consider that they're not resilient, that they can't cope with stuff, is really underplaying the strength of their vulnerability. And we need to, we, we need to enhance their res resilience. And we need to allow them to get proof of their resilience by falling over, by having the challenging times and by being allowing them to complete their emotional cycle and see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's how they'll find their resilience, which is, we know it's built in them. 
Because, you know, look at how we started for fuck's sake and, and how the hell did we get from cave people to sitting here talking on a fucking laptop, <laughs> recording a goddamn podcast that is going to go out somewhere in the sound waves. You know, how have we come this far if we're not resilient? The evidence is everywhere. And it's worrying that people would think that their kids are not resilient. That's terrifying. I think the the kind of way that people saw it that responded with that it isn't because I chased them up I was like tell me why like I want to yeah. know why like what's what what is this because I, I disagree so I want to know great topic great topic um and a lot of the concerns I guess were particularly around teenagers and how there are increased mental health issues and that's we're seeing that like I saw it as a teacher I see it now in the work that we're doing People are coming with, look, my, there's, some, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong with my child. They're not coping. Um, they have anxiety. Um, they're, they're worrying all the time. They're really stressed out um, with their exams and peer pressure and social media and all of, you know, they're not, they're not resilient. Like, they're not, they can't be resilient because they're not coping with all of this. Can I, can I ask you a question then, as a teacher and as an expert in your own field, which I'm really interested to know, this whole anxiety around kids in high school. Look, this is me playing devil's advocate and putting my head well above the parapet. You answer exactly accordingly, Katie, to whatever you're feeling. Tell me that I'm wrong. This is a genuine question. Is it, can it be that ripple effect? Can it be? Now, my daughter's 15. I've had a touch of this with her. The way that I responded, she came to, I know my daughter. I know my daughter, I know her strengths, I know her resilience, I know who she is, I know how she sees the world, to a degree, obviously, because she's a teenager. But I feel, uh, from my instinct, my instinctually parenting her, when she came to me and said, I feel really anxious, or I've got anxiety around this, I looked at my child, I felt into my child, and I said, you are absorbing this from other people. And when I said that and challenged her and said, I want you to look around you and be 100% honest with yourself. Are you channeling the environment that you're currently living in? And she, she went away and she looked and she said, yeah, actually, I don't actually feel anxiety about this. I'm wondering, and this is my question, how much of this is second degree? How much of this in our teenagers is coming from an expectancy to feel anxiety around exams and stress? How much is it coming from the mothers who are told your children at that age are going to be anxious because X, Y, and Z. And so then it's feeding through and the mother's got anxiety or the parents have got anxiety around their children's exams. And then that's feeding into it. And like this big ball of, but when you get to the actual crux of that human being and give them the space to say, is this genuinely your feeling or do you feel you're absorbing it from somewhere else? Do you think that that's a possibility? I think there is so much noise yeah, and we don't take the time to be still and be quiet and to disconnect from what is going on. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you've got like the media pounding us with negativity all yeah. the time. You try and find a positive news story that is so, it's like a, you know, a, it's local news stuff, isn't it? Everyone takes the mickey about, you know, the positive stories in local newspapers that you occasionally get. Mm. BBC, you never get positivity. Like, you just, it's, it's everywhere. The negative, like, well, this is wrong. We've got to fix it. Um, 
we're not doing well enough. We need to get better. Mm-hmm. We need to achieve more. We need to succeed more. We need to get more money. We need to have better jobs. We need to get better grades. We need to look better. We need to deal with life better. You know, we can't, we shouldn't be negative at all because we should be dealing with life really well all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what people have taken as being resilient that you have to power through no matter what keep going keep going keep going but that's not what resilience is and that's not what the focus i think should be it's we are all innately okay we are okay Mm -hmm. and there are really difficult things that we might experience Mm -hmm. and for teenagers that could be you know friendship issues and it could be self-esteem and yeah, the, the stress that they might feel comes with exams or they might, yeah, be told that comes with exams. Um, but the constant like, oh, well, this person's saying this and this is happening and this is happening. And yeah, of course, they're absorbing everything because they're constantly online. Like I had a conversation with uh, my A-level class before I left teaching and I suggested that you might turn your phone off. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> and, and I was like, but you must turn, you must like put it on silent when you're asleep. They don't even put it on silent. No. So they're constantly mm-hmm. absorbing everything around them with all these, like you said about parenting, like all these mixed messages. Mm-hmm. And without having those moments, I think, where they can just go in and be like, oh, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. I'm still, I'm still taking like the next action. I'm still doing what, what, I'm doing on an everyday basis Mm. I'm okay then that's where I think unless we do that I think that's that's where the problem yeah it's like a cycle of you know if if Darcy if her best friend's got anxiety then you know like I said the peers are everything at that age anyway then she's going to look at that as a reference point, same age, same sex, same situation, same exams. Oh, that's what we do at this time. And I'm not dismissing actual anxiety or mental health, obviously, fucking hell. But what I'm saying is, from my experience with my daughter, is she felt she had to fit that mould because that's what that mould looks like to her currently at her age group in her schools. And it wasn't until I said to her exactly what you're saying, get quiet and see if this is genuinely how you feel. Or if you feel you are just acting in a way that you feel you should, because that's what society is telling you it looks like for you. What I will touch on there as well about um, resilience and and kids, you know, my first son, you know, so the first one, it's like, oh, you're going to go to university, you're going to have, you're going to get your A-levels, you're going to go to university, blah, 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 this um, social economic growth through bloody schooling. And I hate education anyway. And clearly I'm not educated because I left school at 14, but, um, watching my son go through the education system and this, um, dominance to achieve and, um, this, the, the weight that is put on the grading and everything when he got through to his second year A levels. And it was just in the May before his second set of exams, he had an absolute breakdown. He couldn't do it anymore. I signed him out of college and just said, just stop, just make it stop. We were losing our son. He was trying to fit a mold that was not relevant to him. Um, and I feared for him at that point and I took him out. That boy now has gone and lived in Australia by himself for a year. He's gone to Tenerife and done his diving qualification. He's currently living in a um, in COS in Greece, 
for the summer season doing tourist dives. He came away with uh, only A1 levels of maths or whatever, but he's not using any of his formal education. He's not living in, he's not got his first mortgage. He's not got his future wife locked down. He's not got all of this stuff that me as a parent and society was asking of that child. Um, he's doing it his own fucking way. He wants to live in a beach shack on a beach doing diving for the whole of his life around the world. Who the fuck am I to say that's wrong? You know, but how resilient is he to have come to that point where he felt there was nothing left for him in the world to change it up so dramatically and create the world that he chooses to live in or that he is made to live in? Who the fuck are we to say that university trumps sitting on a beach teaching diving? Who the fuck are we to choose what's more important and a more important way to be or what ranks higher? You know, who is to say that a five bedroom house ranks higher than a, a beach shack where he's living his best life in the sunset? You know, it's fucked up. And that fucked upness is being driven into our next generation and causing this huge wave of kids trying to fit in to, uh, you know, what has become now pretty unachievable goals actually, because it's been ramped up so high that, <clears throat> you know, to be able to come away from uni with this amazing, incredible future and get on the housing market and all this bullshit, which is quite unachievable. <laughs> we've created that. You know, when I pulled back and took my son out of college and pulled back and said, you do whatever the fuck you want to do with your life. And one line that I use frequently to remind myself that I don't own these kids is that I gave him life without condition. When I started parenting him, in my head, I made you, therefore, you'll do it the way I want it to be done. And I flipped that whole, reframed that, that I have given these humans life without condition. I don't have any stipulation on what they do with this life that I've given them to them because it's, it's theirs now. And um, that was quite a lesson, <laughs> but we're there. <laughs> so now with Darcy, I'm just like, fuck it. Do what you want, love. <laughs> I don't even give a shit anymore. <laughs> I love that message. That's an amazing message. That's it's things we learn. This is what I mean. I only learned that, you know, 19 years in on parenting. Um, and isn't it the same for parents too then because if you say if you say to your kids you can do this you can do whatever you, you know it's your life do what you want no conditions can't you then turn it around and say look this this is what we want to do as a parent like we're kind of in, you know we're the ones who are making the moves at the moment and doing doing what we what we feel like we want to do surely you've got to put it back on yourself as well as a parent and say this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to live my life and this is what I think is best for my kids and us, as a family, right now, that's it. And for me, personally, like that's, that's how I'm going to live life. I think if you buy into the idea that you are the biggest influence in your kid's life, then influence them in a way like that, where you're influencing them to be who they want to be. Don't influ influence them to um, conform or to fit moulds that... My son's not academic. You know, my second son is not academic, but do you know what? He got into the best music school in London. They handpicked him two years before uh, he was due to start at college. They put him into a degree a year before um, he, the, not the average age to do a music degree. He started his music degree at well, eight, uh, 17, I think. And yeah, it was 17. He started his music degree and the music degree became all about academia and he dropped out in the first term because they took away the practical side, which was what he excelled at. 
That's how fucked up that is. So he, they've lost him. He, the music world's lost that kid. And I, I pray he comes back to it because he's such a natural talent. But you cannot, it's that old saying, and you can't make a fish climb a tree. Because he's a, music, he's, a, he's a practical musician. He was self-taught and got himself into the best music college in London, self-taught. Mm-hmm. He's got an innate talent to physically play music, but they tried to put him in a classroom and he said, fuck it, I'm not, that's not what I'm here for, and left. Mm. What an absolute waste of talent. Mm. You know, we as parents need to see that. Yeah, he's just drumming in his room. He, he's got no degree, but man, that kid can produce some good music. And we need to put more weight on that, you know, their, their natural talents and feed that rather than expect them to get an A grade. But that's that, that's very that's very limited, isn't it, in the education system as it stands? Just one shame. I don't even I don't even think we can get started on that. Yeah, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> it's too big. Um, I wanted to take a bit of a diversion, just ask you about your new business a little bit more because we haven't touched on it yet. Um, but it's very exciting. I mentioned it right at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit more? Oh my God, I'm so excited. Okay, so I've been using reusable period pads for the last two years. And the whole time I'm using them, well, the reason I'm using them is because landfill is, we, you know, I've got to take my impact on landfill responsibly. And I was like, you know, what if I just... I have my nails painted, right? So I'm like, I'm not complete eco-warrior. I use chemicals on my body and I feel bad about that. So I offset it in other areas, you know, like um, shampoo bars. Uh, Where I can offset, I will offset. And one of the easiest offsets for me was the sanitary towels because we use so many in one lifetime, one woman from the start of her period to the end of her period uses um, 20 kilograms of landfill waste. And if you imagine how light a period pad or his tampon is, that's a shit ton of actual footprint landfill. Um, and this is such an easy switch to make. And so I thought, I was looking around the market and I didn't see a brand that spoke to me. They were all, uh, um, I say woo, you know, the ones I currently use are called Tree Hugger. That's, that doesn't talk to me personally. I'm sure that them, I mean, they've got a thriving business, so it's talking to lots of people. But I didn't find a brand or a quant- quality out there that fitted who I was. Um, so I've created it. So fuck it. I thought, do you know what? If you can't find it, make it. So um, I'm manufacturing in the UK. And what my message is to women is, this is a whole new concept for some women. And it can, can be completely gross to some women. But even if you changed up two pads a night, you know, and didn't wear the reusables out, which you can, and I've got a nifty little bag and everything, and there's going to be loads of information on the website. But changing up any little switches that you can make, to reduce your landfill also of course we know they're full of chemicals the disposables we know they're single-use plastics all of that into consideration but my biggest issue is landfill and this is a tiny change that you can make to offset some of the other stuff that you're not quite ready to let go of yet so it's a really cool contemporary brand it's simple to use um i'm so excited and we, I've taken, this has been in design since January. We've done so much work around the design of this pad because I wanted to make something that was fit for purpose for the modern woman who does have to go out and work, who is trying to juggle three kids and a part-time job. You know, that woman, that's what I'm talking about. They have to be efficient. They have to be as eco-friendly as possible. They have to perform. So there's been a lot in the design process. Um, I'm really excited. They're launching in September, but the landing page is coming out soon for you to start getting your discount codes and stuff. So it's very exciting. Open conversation around it, you know, and um, 
I think it's where we all need to be heading. And lastly, in the UK, 200,000 tonnes of waste a year, sanitary protection. 200,000, wow, I can't even, I don't I can't even get my head around that. That's just a lot. in the UK, just in the UK. For every 100 metres of beach, 4.8 products wash up, sanitary products. For every 100 metres of beach. Oh, I've got stats stats that'll make your hair stand on end. We need to look at this, and it's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable, right? But if you can make one tiny change, change one pad out a day, or you know, wherever you when you're just bumming around at the weekend at home, when you just use that, and then your conscience is a little bit lighter, you know. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. They're called wear them out, and because that's what it is just wear them out, man. Like, wear them to rags, don't throw them away until you need to amazing i think that's brilliant i know i know a lot of people listening will be familiar um with the like concept already but mm. to have a new product that that speaks more to as i count myself in your target audience target you, clients, actually you quite... are in my target audience <laughs> <laughs> women who haven't been open or, or women who are struggling to get on board with it or doing it begrudgingly because they feel they should my product is so cute not not cute that's a shit word in fact half the products on the market are cute which is what i don't like but they're like cool and acceptable you'll see you'll see keep an eye out for it because they are really yeah the one babe <laughs> very excited very excited um where can people listening find out more about everything else that you do yeah just get over to my socials at this girl is enough on facebook instagram my podcast is on itunes spotify podbean that is called life unfiltered with this girl's enough if you want to connect with me please do i'm quite open to having conversation with anyone i love connecting with women um yeah come over it's it's it's, it's quite the ride quite the roller coaster my social media and obviously my website my podcast is up on my website as well which is thisgirlsenough.co.uk um yeah awesome thank you so much for coming on you're welcome that's a lot to take on right (laughs) (laughs) i've just talked at you for an hour (laughs) no it's brilliant there's so many i always i love listening back to these podcasts because there's always so much that i have to because when you're you know when you're I say the same thing. Yeah, you don't really take you take it all in, but you're thinking about the next thing that you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love listening to mine back. It sounds really self indulgent, but I love listening as an audience member. Hmm. Then I can fully immerse in what the guest is saying. So I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to listening back to this one. Oh. Um, thank you so much. Uh, yeah. And Thanks for having me, darling. That's all right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Mindful Magic and how you can join our movement, pop over to www.mindfulmagic.info or see us on facebook.com slash mindfulmagicmovement. We look forward to being in touch soon.